0: This is Michael Cowan and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. He helps us pan for the gold inside ourselves.
1: You need to have grit. I mean, a lot of this is
0: grit. I feel like I've been made a better lawyer. They're talking about something that's real to them. You have to be really careful not to be Goliath. They saved a bunch of lives and changed society forever. But let's just
1: begin the conversation. Welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation, your source for guidance to win bigger verdicts, get more cases and manage your practice. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan.
0: Today on the show, we have Jesse Wilson. Jesse is a communication specialist, speaking coach, and a jury trial consultant. You might remember we had another podcast guest, uh, Eric Penn. He had an $89.6 million verdict against Werner in a tough case this year. Well, Jesse was a consultant on the case, and he's going to talk about some of the ways he helped Eric get that verdict. I'm also excited to have Jesse on the show because we talk about something I'm very passionate about. That's how to tell your client's story to a jury. People think in stories, and in today's episode, we discuss how you cast the characters in your case. We also discuss something Jesse mentions often, which is turning your client from a victim to a victor, and the importance of sharing their loss through joy instead of through grief. This stuff is counterintuitive, but it really works. As an added bonus, we also add... Details at the end of our podcast about how to receive a special trial ordination discount on any of Jesse's upcoming workshop. I hope you enjoy the show. Today on Trial Nation, we have Jesse Wilson. Uh, Jesse, how are you doing today?
2: I'm fantastic, Michael. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. What is it that you do? So, I am a communication specialist. I am a speaking coach and, um, I'm a jury trial consultant.
0: So, as a, I guess, communication specialist, is that right? Speaking coach and jury consultant, what is it you do for lawyers?
2: So, um, in the words of a, of a Lyft driver, uh, who was asking me the same question, not being a lawyer, uh, I was, um, this was in a case that I was working at not too long ago in Vegas. I was describing them what I what it is I do, and he says he was this kind of very salt of the earth guy from from New York. He's like ah, so uh, you know he was like you help uh, human beings become human beings like in front of other human beings, <laughs> and I thought that was brilliant. Can I can can that be my tagline? I love that. So um, I'm using that. I I I help human beings become human beings in front of other human
0: beings, which is a lot harder than it my,
2: is. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, the, <laughs> it is the ultimate challenge. Um, it's probably why I do it. My background is in theater, and uh, I, um, I was an actor for over 20 years of uh, working in the world of um, uh, theater and TV and film. I uh, studied uh, classical theater in New York at the Juilliard School, and uh, that was my life for a number of years. And then it shifted into uh, the role of a teacher, I worked in the field of communications and got to merge the best of both worlds between performance and just taking these tools of the theater and putting them in the hands and the mouths and the bodies of non-actors and watching what, what happened, and it was powerful stuff. Um, and how I got to be a uh, jury Trial consultant was uh, was a very interesting thing. I, you know, I've heard from a number of people who have crossed over into this world. People like Josh Carton and Louis Lippman, and people in David Ball, who have all have these theater backgrounds. And of course, I didn't know about them until years later um, when I became a, a consultant, um, who who had said that that essentially th- that this work finds you, uh, and that was that was my experience. I was working in a, um, I had co-developed the theater behind bars program for inmates. And uh, Mm -hmm. I was, I was working with uh, inmates to help make them make powerful changes in their lives. And uh, this work was, was incredible. It, 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 I basically became the student and the witness to, to, to these, the tools of the theater that I've been practicing and doing for so long, but I never really truly saw how powerful they were um, in the hands of people who were really, really broken. And it wasn't about, okay, well, okay, I need to be a better communicator so I can convince and persuade somebody and, you know, motivate my team or jurors or any of that stuff. And I wasn't doing any work with with lawyers at the time. Um, and then it wasn't too long after that experience that that the guy that I was working with happened to be Friends um, with uh, Kathy Osborne, who runs uh, 360 Advocacy, yeah. and um, uh, I got invited to to teach at a Vodier conference. This was a number of years ago, and uh, uh, it was extraordinary. I mean, that's where I met um, some some of the you know some th- th- the coolest people in the world there. Uh, people like Mel Orchard, who um, really helped me get on the path and just open up my eyes to. To how I could play a role in this in this world of litigators, and if at the, at the time, if you would have told me that that was going to be my my career path, I'd be like, "You're out of your out of your flipping mind." So um, a, here I am.
0: So I, before we go into that, I'm really intrigued by this theater behind bars. Uh, what did you yeah. what were you doing there?
2: So when I when I was at Juilliard, uh, one of the the greatest teachers that I that I got a chance to to, to work with uh, was a um, was a mask mask teacher mask M A S K mask teacher and his name was Pierre Lefay he's uh, he died a number of years ago and I learned more about acting and storytelling through this gentleman uh, than than anything else and the mask made such a deep impression on me so to speak uh, that um, that I wanted to teach it and share it with everybody I could and so I brought I brought the masks into prison. I was approached by, again, my buddy Dave, uh, and he said, "You know, I'm doing this program, and I'm not getting any buy-in, and it's just, you know, it's all in their heads, and I need some help." And I'm like, "Man, you need some theater in there." He's like, "What mask? a mask you wear over your face, like a mask you wear, literally a mask you wear over the face, and it's a it's it's a powerful communication tool, and it's also a powerful metaphor for the masks that we wear in our lives." And so, you know the when we remove the masks literally and figuratively uh, the greater story what I call the greater story can emerge and and behind the mask in, in working with the inmates are uh, is uh, these ideas that we have about ourselves this identity that that has formed because of the gang or the drug or this belief system that's been passed on to me by this abusive person in my life and whatnot and then and then we think that's who we are and the work in the theater, what that does is that allows you to make a powerful shift that is not intellectual to reframe your life and say, that's not who I am. And that came about through the work in the theater. Um, And so, um, and and then working with inmates.
0: Yeah. So what kind of results do you get with inmates? I'm just fascinated by this. I know it's not exactly trial stuff, but it's just.
2: Well, it actually is trial stuff. It, it, it actually has everything to do with trial stuff, um, and more than I even realized. Uh, of course, at the time, I would never have made that connection. Um, but it's about being the real you behind the mask. And who do we want to be in front of the jurors? And who do we want our clients to really be? And we all wear masks. And, you know, the beautiful thing about working with the mask is that it's not necessarily, well, get rid of it and discard it. What you learn to do, what the 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 work that we did in, in in prison was, you know, I have this thing in the theater. We call it an obstacle, the thing that holds me back from what it is I really want. And the question then becomes, do I spent my whole life fighting it, or do I use it? You know that line, what we what we resist persists, right? Um, and so if I can get to a place in my life where I'm looking at the darkness. I'm looking at the deplorable. I'm looking at the thing that creates the most resistance. And if I can get to a place in my life where I, where I can say, how can this serve me? But more importantly, how can this serve others? Now I'm working with the conflict. Now I'm working with the pain and I'm allowing the obstacle to become this rich opportunity. And that was the work that we did with the inmates. And so what we did, you know, I was doing psychodrama years before I even knew what psychodrama was. We yeah. roll reversed. And they played their victims and they brought themselves to the place where they had a choice to make a change between the old story and the new story. And, and we put it in the form of, of a monologue. It wasn't just this intellectual endeavor. It was theater. This and the tool of the theater made this, this change possible. And so they performed these changes. Uh, in front of the entire, it was like 600 inmates, I think. Uh, and, you know, again, this was the first time I'd done any of this kind of work, and it scared the crap out of me. So uh, you had
0: inmates reverse yeah. roles with their victims? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's powerful.
2: Yeah. 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 Incredibly powerful. And so this connection and empathy and humanity came out of them. And to me, that, that's why we go to the theater and that, that's that to me is what the theater is I mean there there are many people where you, you say okay I work with the theater with, with with lawyers and with business groups and whatnot and that scares them for, for, for good reason but they usually stop at this prejudgment that they have well this is just entertaining and I hey I'm not a, I'm not an actor so wh- how does this apply to me but I think ultimately we go to the theater because we are given an opportunity uh, to To bear witness to the human spirit. And all of us have the opportunity of stepping into a much, much larger role. And you don't obviously have to be an inmate to 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 recognize that. We all wear masks. And so, you know, what I'm interested in doing is yeah, is 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 um unlocking, is unwakening this um this potential that all of us have within us. And uh so so the you know you 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 made that comment that what does this have to do with with litigation? I think it has everything to do with it.
0: So well, um, that's a lot of the, a lot of the work I've been doing on myself and my is is getting out of the lawyer mask and out of the lawyer role. And it's funny because I've worked with acting coaches right. to to be more real and and less acting.
2: That's right. That's right. I I I actually hate the word acting. It's to me it's about. It's about being because when I hear the word acting like most people, it smacks of inauthentic and dog and pony show. You know, there was a guy that I was talking to recently, and, and this was actually I, I just came back from working at Trial Lawyers College, which was just an amazing experience. And that also hearing about what they did at Trial Lawyers College years ago was like, wow, they're doing that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and this guy came up to me and he says. Um, you know this is a lawyer. He's saying, you know, I, listen, I, I, I'm not an emotional guy. Uh, you know, my wife gets on my case. I, I'm just, my trial, you gotta be more emotional, gotta be more emotional, gotta be more emotional. And I said, you don't have to be. And he looked visibly relieved when I said that. And he said, well, what what do you mean by that? I said, well, here's how I feel about people who are quote unquote emotional. And this is coming from a theater guy. This is coming from a, a director. If I see anybody being emotional, I want to take my shoe and throw it at their freaking head. It's not about (laughs) being emotional. It's about, (laughs) it's about being emotionally available. And there's a very, very big difference between those two worlds. Um, When you're emotional, it's, for me, you're not trusting the story. It's, if I, you know, and it's funny how we can hide behind our tears, right? Well, if I cry and I show emotion, then, then you're going to think that I care. And it's often just the opposite. Um, but if I am emotionally available to the right emotion for the right story, now I'm in sync with my audience, my jurors, and that's the goal that you want. And some of the, the, the most moving and how you, you know, this, the most moving and powerful speakers and communicators do very, very little, and yet they can convey volumes. And so where, what is that coming from? Is that being emotional? Um, you know, for me, it's trusting the story enough to not have to give it away so cheaply.
0: So, so what are some of the different things you do with lawyers? Uh, you know, different. I mean, I, I working with witnesses, working on story development, working on openings, closing. What are the kind of things you do?
2: Well, everything you just mentioned. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't. I don't take a. I don't take a uh, traditional cookie cutter approach. Um, typically, a lawyer will call me and say you know, help me develop this story. And that, that means that I go in a human sponge mode and I try to, uh, I try to spend as much time with the client as I possibly can. Um, and, you know, and then, then we, and then that becomes what I call, I we, we go into, uh, what I call squeezing the orange. So once we have the story, the right story, we squeeze the orange and out of that comes what is the story, the narrative structure of the story? How do we sequence that story? How do we frame that story? And how does that story then become voir dire? What are the key questions that we want to be focusing on? How do we help tell the client's story through the questions, you know, um, that we want to be asking the jurors? And then we develop the language and the themes and the power anchors, and the, you know, all the different blocking and, and the, the, the verbals and the nonverbals of the opening and closing arguments. And you know, so that could it could stop there or it can take me, you know, all the way into the courtroom where like I was on the last case, uh, you know, I was I was in the courtroom for a good month and 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 some change where um you know we're strategizing and we're we're always being aware of what that closing argument is and we're tweaking and editing it and as we go along. And I'm sitting in the back there assessing the, the strengths and weaknesses and opportunities of the case and I'm sitting on the side of the defense and so that I can scare the crap out of them. They're going, who is this guy? Um, you know, <laughs> that's all part of it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, um, but I would say in general, most of the work that I do is with witness preparation is working with um, is working with the, the, the plaintiffs and then,
0: um, and then the key players of, of, of that person's story. What do you see as some of the bigger challenges in, in working with a plaintiff as a witness?
2: Many of them, uh, but I would say the biggest one goes back directly to the theater, Michael, uh, and this is what I call the difference between the winning versus the whining story. And, um, and what does that mean? That means that there is this thing called a victim trap. And it's just as true for the actor as it is for the plaintiff, as it is for the lawyer telling the plaintiff's story. And, what I often see more times than not, with very, very rare exceptions, and and I actually I I'm the one guy who get I'm not the one guy, but I actually get excited when, when I, I got I get a call from a lawyer saying, oh Jesse, this guy is this woman is just just broken and they're off putting and the my focus groups they they just can't stand them and it's just oh my god, I'm I'm actually leaping for joy because I know that there's something hidden behind that wall and damn it I'm going to find it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and and so what I end up seeing a lot of the time is the victim casts themselves, the quote-unquote victim casts themselves wrongly in the role that they think that the juror wants to see out of them. We hear this word victim, and immediately we play the victim. Well, of course, of course they are the victim. They're in pain. They're, there's Something horrible has been taken from them, and there's a big difference between the word taken and lost. Taken is a theft, and that's a horrible feeling. And, um, so naturally, I have to play the victim, right? Well, then, you know, if the lawyer believes that that's true, then now they're telling the story in a, in a way that, that doesn't allow the audience, the jurors, the heroes to become the heroes because we're seeing somebody up there who is essentially feeling sorry for themselves and not to say that what what they're feeling isn't genuine but you see you've got to go against the grain it's the divine paradox is the more we see the fight the more we want to fight for you and i'll tell you a story about to give a to give a great example of this going back to the world of the theater and it's it's a, it's a story that that i that i often share in the workshops and it and and it has a, so much to do with what jerry spence says he says um Oh God, I hope I get this right. Yeah. He says he love heroes who, although uh, horribly and unjustly injured, smile through their tears, smile wow. through their tears. And, you know, so a number of years ago I, I was cast, uh, this is before I made the, the big shift into being a, a teacher of the theater. And this is when I was making my living um, uh, as an actor and I was cast in Arthur Miller's uh, great American play, Death of a Salesman. And the, 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 the play uh, is centers on the main character, Willie Loman, who uh, at age 63 has been this, this traveling salesman all his life. He's a shadow of his former self now. And uh, he's constantly trying to get that big break that he absolutely feels that he deserves. And, it's, and in his mind, it's just around the corner. But it never comes. And, you know, hopefully, if you haven't seen this play, I apologize. Spoiler alert. You know, he killed himself at the end. So why the hell do I want to go see this play? Yippee. This this tragedy. Uh, So I'm playing one of Willie Loman's sons. You've got Biff and you've got Happy. And I play the character Happy, who's anything but Happy. (laughs) And the director, uh, Murray Ross, comes in. And this is the first day of the table read. And he comes in and he and he looks at all of us and he says, uh, "The table read, you know, is where we analyze the script and and and, and talk about how we're going to make this thing come to life." And he says, "I just have at this point one non-negotiable in this production, and if any of you deviate from it, uh, deviate from it, I'm I'm going to kick you out of the theater." And he meant it. He said, "And and mainly he was addressing this to Willie, to uh, the actor playing Willie Roman, but he was referring to all of us. Uh, nobody at any point he says." can ever feel sorry for themselves on stage, because the minute we feel sorry for ourselves on stage, we do not have a play. And it's not in the script, right? It, it, Arthur Miller, the playwright, doesn't say, after playing Willie Loman, don't feel sorry for yourself. And so what is the difference between a good production of Death of the Salesman and a, and a crappy production of Death of the Salesman? The script doesn't change. It's what the actor brings to it. And this is no different than what we do in 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 in, in the courtroom. The actor playing Willie Loman has got to believe that at any moment he's going to turn it around. He's a fighter to the very end. Even at the moment where he kills himself, the minute he breaks the audience loses their fight. We 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 want to see this guy. It's a blood sport. We want to see this guy believe that he could turn it around, even though we know going to, even though we know what the ending is. And that's powerful. And that's the human spirit. Your job is to show the human spirit in your client. You've got to show that this person is a fighter. This person is can find joy. This person is fighting for joy. Because if you don't do that, then we're being manipulated and we don't want to be the heroes. We're watching you become your own audience member, which is the worst thing that could ever happen for both actor and for trial lawyer.
0: Yeah, we're doing focus groups in a case and uh, my client had lost her most of her right arm. She was right-handed. And when we mm-hmm. first were doing the case, we were just showing the liability part and mentioning an amputation. And the jurors were right. like, well, you know, it's worth a million dollars, but I bet she's trying to cash in on this. I bet she could probably work. I bet she doesn't wanna work anymore. And all these like really negative things. And then we showed video of her uh, she had become a huge, she had started CrossFit before she lost her arm, but she hadn't done any competitions yet of all her working out of her saying, you know, she's going to do every, you know, not going to let this beat her, her lifting more weight with her left hand than she could with both hands before, and the numbers just skyrocketed uh, that they were willing to go.
2: There you go. Uh,
0: because That's right. And I had these, her mom would always be calling me saying, you know, she's on YouTube again or she's on the news again saying that she can do anything. She's ruining the case. I'm like, no, she's not. Exactly. That's right. That's the best Isn't that fascinating?
2: Thing. Were you able to help her connect the dots and see that the victor's story was much more powerful than the victim's
0: story? I think so. I also had a. She worked at a courthouse and had a lot of lawyers uh, telling her that uh, I was doing it wrong and they should get her daughter to fire me and hire them. But at the end of the case, the daughter was <laughs> very happy she had hired us. Uh, in fact, we keep in touch. Uh, yeah. Uh, and we actually, whenever I'm in Florida, I go see her. She's a, one of the coolest people ever. Uh, well, but, uh, no, it, and it, you know I that's the that, story that, that's we use great. with clients, trying to get them to get this, you know, this hope dynamic. You know, how are you? If you're asking a jury to help you, right. what are you doing to help yourself? What are you doing to show that that you know that the that it's going to be well received? Uh, that it's, it's that's right. That I hate to use the word worthy, but it's like if you want them to do something uncomfortable, like uh, having an award mm-hmm. that's going to get them criticized, you know, show that you're willing to do mm-hmm. your part, that you're deserving of it. And it's the mm-hmm. opposite of what that's they think right. they should do. They, they think that they should just be, what was me, I can't do anything, and that admitting they can do anything or trying is going to hurt their case, and it's just the opposite. That's right. That's right. And, and so, no
2: amount of money will ever make them entirely whole. What you're doing yeah. is you're helping them continue to get better. You're letting them know through your voice that their fight is not, is not alone, is not, in, is not in isolation. And that's a very, right. very powerful thing that happens.
0: And I think it's really liberating once you convince them that they don't have to, you know, woe is me and they don't have to do nothing and they can try to move on with their lives and they, it's not going to hurt their case. Yes. It, it liberates them to go and start trying. Cause I think a lot of people stay frozen while yes. they're in the litigation process, scary, scared. They're going to hurt themselves. And it's really, yes. they're really hurting themselves by not moving forward. That's
2: right. That's right. And, but it, you know it's a very it's a trap, and it's it's one of those things that is so obvious we're talking here, and I think anybody listening would say, "Yeah, sure, of course, who wants to see an actor on stage feeling sorry for themselves? Who wants to see somebody who is um so moved to tears that they can't get the words out? um Just tell me the damn story, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen lawyers when I ask them to tell me the story of their client." <laughs> will 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 stay in the flat line of the victim state. Even uh, this is and this is this is this is this is so great, but it happens all the time and I'm not trying to belittle anybody. Because I do it too sometimes. I mean it's it's the number one trap because you're moved by that person's story. You see somebody telling a story of joy in a very, very sad way. Example so Mr Jones loved his wife. He cared about her. And um You know, every day they made love like cats and dogs. And it was just, you know, it was um, their life was 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 wonderful. And, uh, you know, they they went out to rock concerts and, uh, you know, just uh, at the time of their lives. And then the accident happened and took away everything. There's an enormous risk in telling a painful story with a place of joy. In a place of joy, can you do that? And a lot of a lot of times, I'll hear, "Well, I feel like I'm I'm not doing them justice. I feel like I'm dishonoring them or belittling them, and I feel embarrassed. I feel afraid." You hear all these sorts of things talking about uh, a person's life, it, or, or taking taking the the audience to a different point in your client's life that was a place of joy. But the way I look at it is this: it's evidence, isn't it? there's physical evidence and then there's emotional evidence. So your job is to to bring in the right state for the right story. So I'm not talking about doing cartwheels or doing anything that is inauthentic. I'm talking about allowing yourself to genuinely feel joy because that is what they felt. Don't just tell me, show me. Show me joy. And it's a lot harder than you think for most people to get to that place. And so, you know, one of the things that that Eric um Eric Penn uh who was, who was the guest, I, I believe on your, was it the second on yeah. show or yeah, we, he, he used the words and we, we, this is, this is what we'd worked on so much in, in pretrial was, and he used these words and he didn't just say these words. He showed the words when he was, um, working, he was talking to the client on, uh, on direct. Um, and he said, you know, to the jury, but it was the exchange between, uh, the plaintiff and um, and the jury is that we honor the lives of the people who are no longer here through stories of joy. And so I want to hear about the joyful time that you had uh, with your son. He was talking to, you know, the um, Jennifer Blake, the mother of, yeah. of uh, Bri- Brianna Blake, who, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury and quadriplegic and all that stuff. And so, um, uh, when you hear that you the, the, you're crossing the threshold right there it's like really wow this guy's actually going to talk about joy and and there's a there's also a sense of relief that comes with that too because now you feel that you're not being manipulated and um you know if you could do that the right way it's 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 to me that's a game changer
0: absolutely when, and it you know surprises people we work with but like when if we have a wrongful death case we spend most of our time you know, going back and learning all the joyful, all the great moments, all the good times, because you know we just tell our clients, your job is to talk about what you lost and to show them what, to know what you lost, have to show them what you had. That's right. And uh, that's right. And uh,
2: and to show and that actually, to really really show
0: that, yeah. And uh, the, the jury will get the loss. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anything to be done. I think usually we try to get people other than our clients to talk about the changes and the sadness and and let our clients focus on the positives and what they had.
2: That's the divine paradox and all this stuff is that we feel the loss. We feel what's been taken a thousand times more through the opposite, through the joy. I don't want to show you grief. I don't want to show you my tears. I am a fighter that this is, this is the, 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 the soliloquy or the the subtext of, of what the, the victim so-called victim needs to be thinking is that um, I am, I am I, I am I am holding on to this person through joy and yeah. I am not going to I'm not going to give it away so cheaply I'm not going to do it and as we're watching we're thinking my god how are they able how are they able to to be who they are up there um, there's a line that I that I love um, and um, it was shared uh, to me fr- from a lawyer now I was talking to Josh Carton about it and he said that it didn't come from Don Clarkson, but I'm gonna say it's from Don Clarkson because that's that's who I heard it from. Uh, or a okay. lawyer who said it was Don Clarkson. Yeah. So maybe Don's Don Clarkson Yeah.
0: That's
2: right. Who and whoever said it, you know, it's a it's a great line. But um he said that the the thing that's even more powerful than a man crying is a man trying not to cry. I'm paraphrasing, but wow. that's the idea. I'm sure whoever said it, Don he probably said it more eloquently than me, but I thought I thought that was just wonder. When the tears come, they come. But when you fight against it, oh my gosh, it's like, you know, you're a hero, you're a warrior. And that's what we want to see up there.
0: So what do you do then to, you know, open someone's eyes who's viewing themselves and, and they're in that victim trap to, to get them out and free well, them to...
2: Yeah, well... I get creative. There isn't any one way. There isn't. There isn't uh, a flick on the light switch. Boom! Now, great. You are. You are a. Uh, you, you're a victor. Especially if you're dealing with somebody who has been in a victim state their entire life. That's when it's really difficult. I mean, it's one thing to work with somebody who, let's say, they were in a, an enormous place of joy, and then, bam, the thing that happened was taken from them, and here they are. But let's say let's say you're dealing with somebody who's had has a lifetime of, of abuse and neglect and have a has a negative self uh, image of themselves. And how do you how do you get them to become the people that we want to fight for? So, you know, there's all sorts of ways to do it. Um, I bring masks. I quite literally bring masks. I worked with a plaintiff a couple of weeks ago and I brought this character mask. Uh, and the character, so there's there's the neutral mask, the blank neutral mask that just focuses on your non your body. And then the character mask is, is these, uh, just these warped, uh, brilliant kind of, uh, twisted, uh, gnarled faces that allow you to shift into different characters and, uh, voices. And so I put this on this, <laughs> this woman and it was the first time that she'd actually had a real belly laugh in a week. Um she was laughing hysterically because of this gnarled face that was on her, on her face. And, um, you know, it, it, it opened her up. So you got to find a way of meeting them. But, but typically I will ask the movie question and there's a real method to to the madness The the movie question is, um, it, I ask them what their favorite movie is. And so we, we start talking about that stuff and, uh, you know, they'll say, well, okay, my, my favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption, a oh, great film. And okay. So, uh, who's, who's the main character in that film? And they'll say who the main character is. And it's okay, Andy Dufresne. Andy Dufresne is the main character in the movie. What is his obstacle? Uh, and we, we talk about the obstacle, the thing that holds that character back from what they want. And eventually we get to a point where they're understanding story. And mind you, we're not, I try to avoid as much as possible them talking about their own life. At this point, we're Mm -hmm. we're we're coming from a 50,000 foot uh, approach here um, away from their own story. And so that we kind of have this common ground and and we talk about the main character's struggle. And I so I'm going to ask you the most obvious question here. If you took away the struggle, if you took away Andy Dufresne's obstacle, the conflict. Would you want to see the movie? Well, no, without hesitation. Well, why not? Because it'd be really, really boring. We got nowhere to go ah so the obstacle has value well yeah sort of like jaws without the shark right you got to take <laughs> away the shark from jaws where do you go give me another example of a movie with with a great conflict yeah so they so they so they will say so this and that and da, ba, 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 ba. so we get to a point where they're seeing the value in the obstacle okay so that's really really important because all of us can say, "Well, okay, sure, if we were writing a screenplay, what would be the most important thing okay beyond beyond uh, the the soundtrack, beyond the great sex scene, beyond the the Hollywood name, if you don't have conflict, you got nowhere to go we we all we all see that conflict plays an enormous role in telling a great story, but what happens when we look at our own lives? Is there a value of conflict in our own life? Well, no, absolutely not because it's uncomfortable. it's painful, but when you start to see that conflict helps tell the story, and more importantly helps, and it always goes back to your audience, of course, without conflict, you cannot rope your audience in. Without the struggle, they no longer have a struggle. And when they're able to connect those dots to see the value of conflict in their own life, then, then you've got something to work with. Then they start to see that playing the victim withdrawing within pain and this affects their verbals and their nonverbals um doesn't work for them it's a role that simply doesn't work for them because what you want to do is show them you want to give them the strength and the joy to work with their conflict this thing has been taken from me but you know what i'm going to show what it is i i care about i'm going to show what it is i'm fighting for and um when the pain comes, I'm going to do everything I can to resist it. And so we work on that. We do a lot of different exercises that get them to a place where they're able to tell a story of joy. And so um, usually the last thing we'll be working on, this is just day one, um, depending upon how much time I have with them or her. Uh, okay, now let's talk about your story. You know, so the stage is set as opposed to immediately going for the jugular and freaking them out. So yeah, but there's a lot of different ways.
0: That makes awesome sense, actually. Uh, Good, I'm inspired, actually. I hope so. so. I am. Good. I'm. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm. Uh. So, what are some of the other roles? So, we talked about the, the the you know the plaintiff not being just a victim but being a victor. Uh, what are the other roles that we need to cast in a trial story?
2: Well, who is the villain? And uh, that, is, that is a very important thing in, in, in defining who who the villain is, uh, and that's the brilliant thing with this is that when you, when you know who your hero is, well, of course the hero is always a jurist, but you know the, the hero can come in a lot of different uh, um, in a lot of different roles and a lot of different players. but but once you know uh, what the right story is and once you know who the hero is in the story. Um, then that sets up who the villain is.
0: So, you know, I've been doing a lot of kind of researching, uh, I guess the literature of storytelling or the literature of story. Uh, and, and Mm -hmm. I've seen like what I've worked down to five characteristics of a villain, uh, a villain has to be powerful, uh, a good villain, you know, powerful, intelligent, immoral, deceptive, and an individual rather than some kind of collective or entity. Uh um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like yes. Like for Star Trek for example, okay. they tried to have the Borg as as a as a villain for a while and it, it I think it didn't work. They ended up having a Borg queen. I don't know if you're a Star Trek person, but you know, they, they had to have a person because <laughs> this this collective villain and that's a problem with say Exxon being your villain or Warner Trucking being your villain, you know, there's yes. no one to hold accountable. Uh whereas you find yes. who well, are the that's, executives that's a, that made okay. these decisions. <laughs>
2: Well, I remember when I first heard the line and I was working with Daniel Rodriguez, uh, and great trial lawyer, great friend, and he, he asked me the question. He said, Jesse, what's your definition of a villain? And I gave him all sorts of really profound, interesting answers, but if you've ever worked with Daniel, he cuts right to the bone. And, uh, <laughs> he, um, he said, and he wasn't trying to, you know, well, you're an idiot, so let me tell you what the real definition of. But the answer that he gave, I think it's been shared and used by many people, but but it, 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 was, it was wonderful. And he said, a villain is a person who knows the most and cares the least. Hmm. Who knows the most and cares the least? Which I thought was right on the money. Who knows the most and cares the least? And so then we can say, well, then what is a hero? Okay. So I think of, I think of a villain. Okay. So a villain sacrifices others for himself or herself, right? A hero sacrifices himself or herself for others. And that's a very, very important distinction. And so, you know, you brought up the Warner case Uh, and the 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 jury was was unimpressed with Warner's decision uh, made several years before this crash, right? To take um, preventable investigations in catastrophic crashes out of the hands of the safety department and, and place them in the hands of the legal department. This was the use of yeah. the 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 black curtain that um, was was such a powerful uh, symbol. Um, and the evidence demonstrated that the purpose of preventability investigations is to determine if any safety improvements can, can be made to prevent crashes in the future. Um, and that, you know, one of the, one of the, the witnesses, uh, testified that the legal department only determines that, uh, that Warner did anything wrong in about one of one out of every 200 catastrophic crashes and investigates, And, uh, Jamie Mouse, who is was the the uh, is the uh, the head of safety, testified that she could only think of four times from the legal department had ever notified the safety department of a safety lesson learned from one of its investigations, which was two more times than she had investigated i believe to her pretrial deposition anyway i'm getting to the point of the villain because in connecting to the human element of the story uh, and the overall strategy of the winning story, Eric Penn took. A non-traditional approach, and didn't attempt to portray Shiraz Ali, who was the 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 driver of the 18-wheeler, as the villain in the story, because he wasn't the villain, and it's very easy to want to vilify him. And uh, he told the jury that in the opening, Warner Trucking was the villain, is the villain. This is just a kid up there, a student driver. Well, he didn't say that in the opening, but that you know that that was that was the argument. This was just a kid up there, a student driver who had been trained improperly by a company that, that chose keyword chose not to follow basic safety and sh- systems. So, the, you know, I think always, if you're going to attack, attack with kindness, because when you do that, it isn't just because you're afraid it's because you know who the villain really, really is. And um, you know, what we did, what you know, you've heard of the soft cross or the compassionate cross, all that stuff. But you know, go soft on Shiraz Ali so that we would highlight the real villain. And again, it's sort of the paradox of of the hero. The more joy we feel the loss, the more soft you are with the people that we think they're gonna be villainous to. Um, then we end up highlighting the real villain and then allow us to say, Wow, I can't believe he isn't going after that guy's jugular. I want to go after him. That's fine. That's an, Fine, go ahead and feel that way. You're arming the jury when you do that. Um, yeah, the problem was, the, of course, uh, Ollie hung, uh, uh, hung <laughs> Sorry, Ali hung himself up there by a script that Warner told him to stick to no matter what. Uh, yeah. He also showed zero remorse or any regret for the Blake family. Uh, and, and that resonated, of course, negatively with the jurors. That was a huge turning point. And he felt for the presence of the villain even more. And um, you know, in slaying the dragon, you always want to attack with kindness and compassion. The story, the right story, I'm telling it will take care of itself, and in, in yeah, this case, think, it worked beautifully.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. I call it, the, you know, the, there's a difference between the minions and the villain and the overlord. Or you know, you 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 it, you don't need Superman to stop just a regular bumbling crook. You need Superman right. to stop a that's super right. villain. And if you want the jurors to do something heroic, they have to have a heroic task in front of them. And if it's just you know, a truck driver. That maybe he's a jerk. Maybe you know, how much money does it take to teach a truck driver a huge lesson? You know, fifty thousand dollars. I mean, that's a hundred thousand dollars. That's, right. that's going to bankrupt them. That's right. You know, but that's right. Yeah, you really want to motivate them. It's got to be someone powerful, someone that's making real decisions, not just following the script. Uh, so I think that's really important.
2: That's right. That's right. Well, the the, the theme that we take, kept coming back to in this case is it's bigger than all of us. And those weren't just empty words. We showed that. They felt it. They saw the scope of this thing, and boom.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was a fantastic, yeah. fantastic result. I was talking to Eric about the trial for over a year before the trial, and, uh, you know, frankly, yeah, thought he was right, but was a little skeptical, you know, given the amount of resources and time you put into it, uh, the winnability of, of the case, because it was a challenging case. And I was very glad to be to see him have done so well because it was such a deserving case uh but it you know most lawyers uh, I mean he did incredible work and put incredible work in to, to do that because most people could not get that verdict in that case I mean that was an amazing result
2: oh I agree oh my gosh she wouldn't have want to touch it with a 10-foot pole for a very good reason uh but you know there's something else that that you reminded me of and and it's I mean this of course was if this is probably about as classic of an underdog case as you can as you can get um, when we're talking about the, the transforming the victim to the victor, and when we're talking about telling stories of joy instead of through pain and and playing the loss rather than going against it, what ends up happening, and I think this is a cue to this, this becomes the bigger truth of the universal human connection between you and your audience, the jurors, is that in telling the right story, the, uh, for, uh, from, the, from the victim to the victor, what you end up doing is you plug into, I think, the DNA of what it is that makes a great character, which is the underdog story. Uh-huh. You know, when somebody who is, who is facing tremendous loss and pain and grief is able to talk about their husband, um, who's no longer here with joy, and the tears are coming down their face, and they're laughing. We're feeling the underdog. We're feeling the villain. You don't have to spoon-feed the audience. You don't have to. It it just takes care of itself, and damn it, we want to punish somebody when we see that.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the things that uh, that you did in that Blake case to work with Eric and help get him ready?
2: Well, we, I mean, I, I, I you feel
0: comfortable talking about, you know, in an open forum that the Warner lawyers are probably gonna listen to at some point.
2: (laughs) Of course. Well, (laughs) everything that I'm, that, um, yeah, everything I'm sharing with you is, is, is an open book. And uh, I've talked with Eric about it and he's like, yeah, man, go ahead, do it. You know, tell it up, you know, that was my best impersonation. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it was really holding ourselves. I, I mean, there was so many different things that, that, that we did together from the storytelling and the revisions and working with the plaintiffs and, and the, the mountain of exhibits that freaked the hell out. I mean, when I first walked into this, this huge conference room, like, Oh my God, I've never seen so many exhibits in my life. And then, but you know, they worked brilliantly, but it, it really, it, it had to do, I think with the theme and it certainly wasn't the first time that we, we penned this uh no pun intended um this phrase uh was "Go big or go home. It's one of those things that it's so freaking big let's not pull our punches and so um, we took some enormous risks in 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 the delivery and the storytelling in the approach and uh and and fortunately, I didn't have to twist Eric's arm too much on this um. In helping craft the overall presentation, uh, myself, Dolly, Kelly, the trial team, we embraced and utilized um, Eric's desire to what I call abandon script, and that is um, in organizing and wordsmithing the openings, of the arguments, and the, the, the phrasing the examination questions, and uh, you know maximizing the, uh, the the effectiveness of counsel's numberable communicate all that. We chose Eric chose and and I supported that and held him held him accountable to this chose not to follow the cookie cutter approach to um, to persuading the jurors that many lawyers often will take it's, and following we, we followed this a three act structure you know opening a statement and closing argument and that that meant that that Eric essentially abandoned the safety net for what law, most lawyers would cling to and find the right story and finding the right story structure in the and the framing of the it was like let's tell the right story the right way. And that means that we're going to do anything we can to get there. Um, obviously that didn't mean, well, let me just go up there with this this open mic, mic uh, sort of mindset and just start a riff. Obviously it was scripted. We rehearsed it, but that was really it. It was like, you know, it's so big. The risk is so big. Let's go big or go home and do it right. And of course, you know, it helps when you have a really, really great villain and it helps when you've got, um, really, really a great, uh, plaintiff, uh, and plaintiffs, but, you know, Brianna Blake was, um, was, was, was the heart and soul of, of this, of this case. And Eric went up there and told it, told there was anger brimming there the whole time, but he, even in closing, didn't have to bear his fangs the rage and the darkness, um, came about through the story of joy because I love, there's nothing else I'd rather do than tell the story of Brianna Blythe to you. And that, that was who he was from the beginning. Um, in, 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 in I think it was in your podcast, Michael, Josh Carton, who was a hero of mine and a big reason for why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I think he said that he struggles with stage fright, like all of us do. And in his role, uh, in in his and when he says his, it, 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 it's taking on the role of lawyer, role reversing. Your mindset is, I want to protect this person, and a lot of people will. Oh, I'm going to protect. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to fight for them. You got to fight for their rights. My God, they're going to try to. There's that person, <laughs> but there, then there is. um, um the best way that I could protect this person is for you to see what a fighter she is and for me to show up, you know, bare my fangs and damn it, she's a fighter, she's not going to give up. No, man, I don't need to do that cuz you're going to see who she is. Uh and 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 that's protection. You know, when we think protection, we think um roll up sleeves and fight fight fight. You can fight through love. You can fight through joy. You can attack through kindness. And y- y- the wordsmithing came out of that um, that emotional state that Eric stayed connected to the whole time. And because of that, that allowed him to take enormous risks. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes perfect. And I think yeah. his love for Brianna, I mean, honestly, is probably what got him to do all the heroic things he did to prepare that case the way he did.
2: Uh oh god cuz you yeah. can't say he's yeah. a greedy
0: lawyer because it was not a good financial bet and he still you know has has a hostile tele- Texas appellate court system to hopefully successfully navigate oh, through. yeah. Uh but, but yeah, he's got he whole did without a love. That it, he's, yeah, that's
2: yeah, right. Yeah, but
0: I mean but uh and I think by being brave enough to share that love uh you're more likely the jurors are going to feel it.
2: That's right. That's right. I remember when I was in LA, um, working on another case at the time, and I get this call from Eric, and he's like, Man, I got the best client in the whole world. And he told me the story of, of, uh, of Brianna. Um, she called herself Destiny, calls herself Destiny, uh, Brie. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with her before I even met her. And the jurors mm-hmm. did too. Um, but, you know, that could have gone two different ways too. Uh, and, um, they that to, to show, you know, when you're telling a story about somebody like Brianna um, or anybody who's gone through this catastrophic injury, you you are always running. You're, you're walking a tightrope walk. You, you, you are um, between dog and pony show and something that's really authentic. And so when we brought her into the courtroom, we just played with her. And that's what it was. And I think we didn't touch any of the bad stuff that had happened. It was just stories of, of, of joy. Uh, I'll tell you if, if we have time uh, something that to me was the heart and soul of this case and we capitalized on it. Uh, Please. and, and so portraying the Blake family, Jennifer, Brianna, Nathan, um, as fighters, as people who never give, give up, of course, was essential. And uh, but you know, but when it came to to Brianna Blake, it was easy because that's really who she was and this was a young teenage girl who used to be a dancer and singer um, and she, fan of taylor Swift and uh the story of this girl trying to find l- her voice again literally find her voice again was a story Eric told, and I remember uh meeting Brianna for the first time with Eric. And, and, and it was critical before the jurors met Brianna that that Eric make this scene come to life through a vivid reenactment for the jurors um, and, and, and allowing them through Eric's eyes to step into Brianna's bedroom present day. And Eric had asked uh, Brianna why she still liked to watch videos of herself singing and dancing on stage. Like the true arts geek that she was, because when we worked with, she kept insisting that she uh, she kept wanting to watch these videos. Um, and 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 you know, Brianna still very much has a sense of humor and is not afraid to show it, um, even though she's been reduced to communicating through sign language. Um, and and I had asked her, I said, "Pre." some people might find it hard to look at videos and pictures of who they used to be and what they used to be able to do. But it's like you watch these videos all the time as motivation. And, and I'm wondering why. And in front of Eric and I, she's signing slowly and her mom's interpreting. Brianna responded, that's still me. Wow. That's still me. So, this is a, a, a young woman who watches videos of herself to remind herself that she's more than her body. And that this, of course, this is a, a, a young woman who all the doctors said would be a vegetable, permanently in a vegetative state the rest of her life. That's still me. That's the story we told. And um, and then she also signed, which was the crowning touch, uh, when Eric said, you know, Brianna, there are a lot of people who thought that you wouldn't be here today talking to us. People who, who said that you would never come out of this. Um, you didn't say vegetative state, but, but this place that you were in and she signs, and this is right in front of the jurors. And, and it was so beautiful. Um, I proved them wrong. I proved them wrong. <laughs>
0: That's incredible.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Yep, you get me carried yeah. out over the phone. Yeah, yeah. Wow,
2: that's what happened, and it was the real deal. Uh, and it was—I um, will—I will die a very happy old man if nothing else great happens in my life. I know that I was a part of this experience because yeah. it, it is bigger than all of us. Uh, I do believe that we save lives as a result of. Of, of this verdict, but it also revealed to me the unbelievable power of the human spirit. Um, and we forget, we go into our dark places and behind our masks and and we forget. And then we we have moments where we, we see that it is so much greater than all of us. And um, uh, it's uh, that was this case, it was pretty cool.
0: That's really cool. You know, yeah. talking to you, I'm really inspired to wanna to work with you more. Uh, and I'm sure some of our listeners probably feel the same way. How, how does someone learn more from Jesse Wilson? What, what, what are the opportunities out there?
2: You can call me. You can write to me. You can whip out your credit card. <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, my website is tellthewinningstory.com. Uh, they can contact me through email, jesse at tellthewinningstory.com. And then, um, you know, I've got a number of different, uh, workshops and uh, seminars set up for the remainder of 2018, 2019. So there's an opportunity to work with me beyond, uh, working, uh, in a consulting capacity, but, um, working, um, uh, in a, in a theater on your feet for three, for three days. So I'd be happy to tell you those dates or they can simply just go to the website and, uh, well, um, tell me, I, know I'm, starting. I want to know because
0: yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely signing up for one of them. I'm going to look at my calendar after we get off here. And uh, Cool. Yeah, what are some of the dates you have of the seminars coming up?
2: So the first one on the books, this is uh, with the exception of Colorado. The, uh, these all take place in Los Angeles at the Complex Theater in Hollywood, which is this amazing 50-seat black box theater. Uh, first one on the books is December 7th and 9th uh, with Mel Orchard. And then, um, and then I've got another one on, in February and March and May, June, another one with June, uh, August, and then October 11th through 13th, since we've been talking about the great Eric Penn, Eric Penn and I are, Eric Penn and I are, uh, Penn and Wilson, uh, are, uh, teaching together, uh, again at the, uh, the Cottonwood, or I'm uh, sorry, at, uh, yeah, at the uh, Complex Theater in LA. And then we're rounding up the year in 2019 again, with Mel, uh, December 13th through 15th. But again, if they go to the website, all of that's listed there. And um, and I know you're going to set up the details with that, but I would love to be able to offer a discount rate to, uh, to any, uh, any of your listeners, Michael, including yourself. Yeah, after the show,
0: after the show we're going to you know, announce the code and stuff as you get that set up, and that will also be on the website. So anyone who wants to sign up, go to cool. Jesse's, Jesse's seminars. He's nice enough to give our listeners 10% off. Jesse, I've really loved talking to you. Uh, I can't wait to work together with you in one of my cases. And thank you so much for coming on.
2: I would love that. Michael, thank you so much for having me. You're like the the Terry Gross of uh, trial lawyers out there, man. This is
0: cool. thank Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jesse Wilson. If you'd like to attend one of his workshops, Please visit his website at www.tellthewinningstory.com. The access code for the 10% discount for all of our listeners is PODCAST, P O D C A S T, in all capital letters. Again, Jesse's website is TellTheWinningStory.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation.
1: Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide. Are you an attorney with a catastrophic injury or wrongful death case you'd like to discuss with host Michael Cowan? If so, you can reach Michael by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to michael at cowanlaw.com. We look forward to talking with you again soon as we continue to explore powerful insights from our amazing host and remarkable guests here on Trial Lawyer Nation. Until then, please be sure to subscribe and review this podcast on iTunes or your favorite listening app so we can continue to reach more listeners. Visit us at www.triallawyernation.com to send us a message, listen to previous podcasts, or learn more about Michael Cowan and our guests.